Commander Carl Jackson considered himself an optimistic person. Achieving the impossible with a smile on his face was a matter of course for the 32-year-old astronaut. And it was exactly this attitude that made him who he was today, a successful test pilot who often defied the odds on dangerous missions for the Earth Combined Nations space program. As optimistic as he was, the test pilot wasn't sure if a positive attitude was going to be enough to get him out of the jam he found himself in on his current mission. He took a deep breath and glanced out the viewport of the cramped cockpit of his spacecraft as he remained strapped into his pilot seat, helmet still securely fastened. Outside the viewport, roughly 10,000 kilometers away, surrounded by the deep, velvet-like darkness of space was an alien planet that neither he nor anyone back on Earth had ever seen. On its surface, vast orange-reddish continents were surrounded by turquoise oceans, polar ice caps, and layer upon layer of gray-white clouds that swirled in the planet's atmosphere. The alien world was reminiscent of Mars, but larger, more vibrant, and seemingly more alive. In the distance, beyond this strange planet, a little farther away than the distance the Earth was from the Sun, was this planet's glowing orb of a sun, Alpha Centauri A. Even farther in the distance, looming like an oversized star among the background constellations, was Alpha Centauri A's binary neighbor, the star Alpha Centauri B. Commander Jackson was the first human to visit Earth's closest neighboring star system, but this was not in the original mission plan for his test flight. In fact, the test had gone horribly wrong. Had everything gone according to plan, Commander Jackson's test flight was only expected to take him from Earth to the planet Neptune. Normally, a journey of that distance could take up to 12 years using conventional rocket propulsion. But with the experimental warp drive Commander Jackson was testing, the trip to Neptune could theoretically be completed in less than an hour in Earth time. Even more extraordinary, from the pilot's perspective, the trip to Neptune would seem virtually instantaneous. Although each step of the test flight to Neptune had been followed according to previous test flights, and the initial stages of the mission seemed to have proceeded without incident, everything had not gone according to plan. The warp drive had somehow malfunctioned. At the end of his instantaneous journey through hyperspace, Commander Jackson discovered that he had not traveled the planned four light hours to Neptune, but had instead traveled four light years to the Alpha Centauri binary star system. As the engines cooled from the initial warp drive phase of the test flight, Commander Jackson calculated that roughly 11 and a half months had passed on Earth since his departure. Surely everyone back home must have thought that he had died during the test, though, with his ship still intact, he had left no wreckage in his wake as proof of a catastrophe. Unfortunately, Commander Jackson had no way to quickly get a message back home. When he first realized this situation, he transmitted his status in a message using the only method available, conventional radio. As such, his message would not reach Earth for four years if the message was strong enough to get there without dissipating into the background radiation of interstellar space. In any event, Commander Jackson didn't have eight years to wait for a reply. He only had enough air and water to last him for 24 hours. This would have been more than enough for the test flight's planned maximum duration of four hours, but in his current situation, there would be a race to get home before his life support ran out. Ever the optimist, Commander Jackson believed there must be a way to get out of this mess and get back home. If it was possible to make it this far out into deep space, he should be able to figure out a way back. 
Several minutes after its pilot requested them, the onboard computer delivered the results of the diagnostic checks on the propulsion system. Surprisingly, the results indicated that the warp engines were operating normally and had operated normally during the test. This obviously was not the case, and Commander Jackson decided that he was definitely going to have a word with the propulsion engineering team and the diagnostic programmers when he got back to Earth. A thorough scan using the ship's external cameras revealed no damage or other irregularities on the outer hull of the craft. This was fortunate. If any damage had been found, Commander Jackson did not have the equipment for a spacewalk to conduct repairs outside the ship. Besides, the spacecraft's propulsion system didn't really have any user-serviceable parts. After having spent most of his remaining supply of air and being no closer to determining what caused the ship to malfunction, Commander Jackson decided to take the next and only remaining step available. He would proceed with the second half of the mission as planned, cross his fingers, and after activating the propulsion system again, the warp drive should instantaneously bring him back to the vicinity of Earth. Granted, two years behind schedule in Earth time, but still he'd be back home. He could already imagine the surprise his reappearance would cause and the stories he would tell. So without further ado, Commander Jackson began the pre-warp flight sequence. Since his craft's velocity had been slowed significantly as it proceeded deeper into the alien planet's gravitational pull, the Earth astronaut realized that he'd have to use the same gravity well to accelerate back up to pre-warp speed. As luck would have it, using an acute three-quarters orbit to slingshot around the planet would have the added bonus of allowing the spacecraft to make a course correction, and that would point the commander straight back in the direction of Earth. With only minor modifications by Commander Jackson to the pre-programmed flight sequence, the computer quickly made the directional calculations for the voyage home. All the commander had to do now was double-check the final course heading visually, pull down the safety shield of his helmet, and hit the engage button. With a rush of thrust from the main rocket booster, Commander Carl Jackson was thrown back into his seat. He tightened his safety harness as the ship turned toward the orange alien planet. Within mere moments, the planet outside the viewport grew larger and larger. As it did, Commander Jackson could begin to see more and more detail on the planet's surface. Mountains. Valleys. And were those forests? Suddenly, the ship began to shake violently, and Commander Jackson felt something toward the rear of the ship pop with a loud bang as the spaceship surged forward again. Was that an explosion, he thought? In an instant, the control panel heads-up display was lit up with flashing red warning indicators. Commander Jackson could tell from one readout that a fuel cell had been ruptured as the level of fuel in that tank was falling rapidly to zero. Fortunately, the cockpit had not been compromised and was still pressurized. Perhaps there was still hope of regaining control of the ship. But as a smaller muffled pop sounded, the instrument panels and readouts went completely dead. When the backup system didn't automatically kick in, Commander Jackson immediately switched on the secondary backup power supply. Then, the vital systems reactivated. But as the commander was preparing to punch up the diagnostic system on the rebooting computer, the secondary backup system failed as well. Commander Jackson slammed his gloved fist on the console in front of him. The situation made it nearly impossible to remain optimistic. With the power completely out, he could already feel the quiet compartment beginning to get colder. 
It wouldn't take long for the temperature inside the cockpit to reach sub-freezing. Reflexively, the test pilot quickly switched on the heater of his flight suit, then repeatedly tried to restart the main and backup power supplies. No result. Nothing. As he tried repeatedly and without success to get his ship to power up, he thought about the life he had lived and all those he knew and loved back home. His family. Friends. Although they had surely thought him to be long since dead, he was planning to surprise them with his return. But now, the reunion he was planning was not likely to be. For a moment, the commander looked out the viewport. The explosion, or whatever it was, had sent the spacecraft into a slight tumble, but not sickeningly so, fortunately. Still, without the use of the steering thrusters, the craft would not swing around in a tight orbit as planned, but would dive straight into the upper atmosphere of the alien planet. Commander Jackson wiped off the frost that was starting to form on the viewport glass. As he stared out, his perspective of the planet outside spun around with the gentle tumbling of the spacecraft. He noted that the deep blue-green patches on many of the continents below reminded him of the forests of Earth. He wondered if there was life down there, if any creatures were there to notice the human-made meteor that was about to light up the sky as his spacecraft disintegrated in the atmosphere. As he took in the wonders of the strange world below, with its incredible unexplored mountains and deserts, and its massive unexplored oceans, Commander Carl Jackson savored the spectacle of vistas he had never in his wildest imagination thought he'd live to see as a scrawny kid growing up in Tuskegee. Amazing view, he smiled. Fantastic. We hope you've enjoyed Re-Entry, an Auditory Chronicles original tale. Be sure to join us later in the spring for more tales of mystery and wonder. And visit us in the meantime on our website at auditorychronicles.com. For Auditory Chronicles, this is JT. Thanks for listening.